Let's thank the Lord for our time. Father, we thank you very much for your grace, your love, your goodness, your work in our lives. We thank you for the uniqueness that binds people together in Christianity, that we can travel miles and miles and instantly we can connect because we have this common bond of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and the common love for the Lord God Almighty. And uh, we thank you for these folks that have given of their time to come minister at the CDC. We pray your blessing upon them. Father, we thank you very much for the camp um, that begins today. We just pray that it would be a tremendous time for those high schoolers. Lord, thank you that uh, you have brought us, called us, you have convicted us that we would be here today. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would teach us, that you would use the teachers and the classes and the activities that are going on right now for your honor and your glory. And Father, as we open up the Word of God, I pray that you would be our teacher today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus Christ. Joe, would you close that door for me, please? Joe? Joe? Thanks. Thank you. Temptation of Jesus Christ, and uh, I want to um, read the summary remarks from our quarterly just as we get started here because I thought it was, uh, it was pretty good stuff here. Um, talks about the, the theme is, in the wilderness, Je Jesus triumphs over temptation at the point where Adam and Israel failed. And of course, you know, we're building upon that. And so they, they didn't do it, but Jesus did do it when he faced temptation. In order to undo the consequences of Adam's sin, Jesus steps into our world and overcomes the temptation to which Adam succumbed. In order to fulfill the purpose of his people, Israel, who doubted God in the wilderness, Jesus overcomes temptation on behalf of his people. His temptation is connected to his cross, the place where he conquered sin as our Savior, and we understand that, we realize that, and we know that. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We are going to talk about the temptation of Jesus, but we want to talk about temptation period this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, passages, verses that are very familiar to you. It says this, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The line that's being drawn here is a line that is drawn throughout the New Testament over and over again. It's really a line that was drawn throughout the Old Testament on a regular basis as well. And that line is this. There is a difference between the system apart from God called the world and the system of God that we are part of. There's a difference between the kingdom of whatever versus the kingdom of God. And there is certainly a difference between the way that Satan does things and the way that God does things. There's a line that is drawn. And we need to understand that. And sometimes as we are very familiar with what we do over and over and over again, that line can be blurred a little bit. And the Bible reminds us in verses like this, do not love the world nor the things of the world because that's not compatible with your love for the Father. Do you love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength? Do you love God above all of those things in your life? As Jesus said to his disciples when he had breakfast with them after his resurrection, do you love me more than these? I understand you love God. Do we love him more than? Do we love him above 
Do we love him different than? And then it says in verse 16, one of the reasons why we need to not be loving the world, investing in, is because it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Reason why we need to love God rather than love the world is because the world contains this stuff that is not from the Father. And this stuff is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Herein lies our struggle. Lust of the flesh. It's going to make me feel good about me. It's going to give me a sense of something. And when we walk away from God, we are looking to be satisfied some way by something. Lust of the flesh. There it is. The lust of the eyes. I see it. I want it. Looks good. That thing would enhance me. That thing would elevate me. That thing would make me feel better. That thing is something that I right now think I need. The pride of life is that I will, I will look better. I will be elevated. I will have something go on whereby I'm patted on the back on a regular basis. Our struggle comes in those three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those things are not from the Father. Those things are from the world. And so the choice that we need to make on a regular basis is, do I, am I loving those things? above and beyond God, or am I loving God above and beyond those things? And that's, my, that's our struggle. And it is a serious struggle, as you all know. We struggle with these things all the time. But I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1. Verse 13. <clears throat> it says this, James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay, there's a couple of important things we want to look at here. In verse 13, it says that when we're tempted, we cannot say that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. The language is a little confusing sometimes in the Bible. The words tempt and, and uh, trial and temptation, and, and they kind of tend to go back and forth on occasion. We need to make sure that we're reading the context properly and understanding what those words talk about. But there's a huge difference between a trial that comes from the Lord and a temptation that does not come from the Lord. The goal of a, of a temptation that comes from Satan is that we would sin. Okay, that's the point of the temptation from Satan's perspective, that we would sin. The point of a trial from God's perspective is that we would grow. Okay? So trials come into our lives, tribulations come into our lives so that we might grow, so that we might be, be more mature, so that we would take this thing and, and grow from it and use it and to become who we ought to be in Jesus Christ, mature in him. Okay? Now, if I don't handle a trial correctly, it oftentimes can become a sinful situation. But the point of it 
if I'm handling it correctly, biblically, it's going to help me grow. A temptation, the point of a temptation is that I would sin, and Satan wants me to sin. I can also, by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, resist that temptation, and that is going to help me be mature. That's going to help me grow. Okay? So we need to understand the difference there, and I think that you do that. Then it says in verse 14, an incredibly important verse, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Okay? This is an important thing to understand. Temptations that we deal with in our lives come from within, not from without. And the reason that we can say that with confidence is that we're not all tempted about the same things. There could be something that can be brought into here right now that can be a massive temptation for some, and for others, couldn't care less. doesn't bother them at all. So you need to understand that it's not just a matter of, in, of cleaning up your environment. It's a matter of cleaning up your heart. Okay? Because that's where it comes from. We live in this world. And so we're going to be faced with these things all the time. It's, it's a heart issue. And we talk about that constantly as we go through these passages. It's a heart issue. Okay? Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Okay? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's an issue that I need to deal with by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. Okay? That's what needs to happen. The things that are going on in this world are just, you know, they're, 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 they're eye candy out there, or just, but they exist. They're there, but they, they just exist. They're everywhere. The issue that you have is you. And we need to come to grips with that. Okay? That, that I need to make sure that I understand that this is a, a pretty significant deal here and that I need to deal with me. Now, I know my propensity, and you know your propensity. You know what you are drawn to. I know what I'm drawn to. And I need to be careful about that, and I need to watch out for that, and you need to be careful, and you need to watch out for that. But it's still the heart that needs to be addressed more than anything. Okay? Now, there are some things that we need to deal with, certainly, but we need to do it. It's... Uh, it's the whole thing of, of you know, eclairs in, in the refrigerator. If you are bound and determined not to eat eclairs, but you decide to keep them in the refrigerator, what's going to happen? You're going to eat them. There's just no doubt about it. It's going to happen. It's just, it's just what's going to happen, okay? So you need to not be, excuse me for a moment, you need to just not be stupid, okay? You need to have some wisdom here. And we know that if eclairs are a problem, don't keep them in the house, right? Don't, don't tempt fate, if you will. Don't play around with those things, you know? And, uh, and, and we, can, we play mind games all the time, don't we? And we need to be very careful about that. It's the old fellow that said that, uh, that, that if the Lord, if it's all right with the Lord, if I have a donut today, there will be a parking place right in front of the donut spot. And sure enough, on the fifth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> we play games, don't we? And we think, well, it's all right. It's, it, it comes from within. Deal with your heart. 
right? All right, let's look at the temptation of Jesus Christ, and then we'll do, come back with some things at the end. Matthew chapter 4. An amazing passage of Scripture. An amazing passage of Scripture. We have been talking about the humanity of Christ and the fact that he is fully man and fully God. We've been talking about his obedience. And now here we are, here we are, right after his baptism, right after his affirmation from the Father of who he is, right after the fact that he, he was willing to submit to this, this baptismal rite and, and to, to set that example for all of us, and the dove came down and landed upon him, and the voice from heaven said, This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Right after that, he's driven into the wilderness for this test. It is incredibly important that you know who you are as you deal with life on this earth. And it was confirmed with Jesus Christ before he had to deal with this thing. Okay? And the reason why it's so important is, is this, and, and this matters. Okay? This matters. Because of who you are, you don't have to. Because of who you are, you don't have to. You don't have to give in to that. You don't have to participate in that. You don't have to be overtaken by that because of who you are. You are in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have power in remarkable ways because of him. You don't have to because of who you are. If we keep that, that helps us a lot. Because sometimes we, we forget who we are and we think, well, I, that's just the way it is. That's life. It's not the way it is because of Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's look at Matthew chapter 4. It says this, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord God, your God, to the test. And again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So as we see this, the first thing that we want to note is verse 1. Then Jesus was led up to the spirit into the spirit, excuse me, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why did this need to take place? It needed to take place so that Jesus would continually be showing us who he was. He was God. He showed us how to deal with temptation here. He showed us that because of who we are, we don't have to. He showed that he was not going to sin. He was not going to, to, to give in to that, that he was going to live that sinless life. 
He showed us those kinds of things, and it was to establish who he was right at the beginning of his ministry, immediately as his ministry began, and for us to be able to look back and say, okay, I see it. We've said this over and over again. We'll continue to say this as we go through the Gospels in our Sunday School Hour, that when you read the Gospels and you are studying the life of Jesus Christ, you are seeing what it is that a spirit-led person looks like. It's what we see here. Okay? is what we see. So we need to understand the whole point behind all of this right away. All right? And it's an incredibly important thing that we, that we do that. All right, let's start right off the bat and, say, and see that it says in verse 40, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. That tells us a little bit about Jesus in his humanity. He was hungry just like we were hungry. And when you're hungry, you tend to not view life well at all, right? Life can be all messed up and difficult, okay? What did God do with Elijah in his discouragement and his depression and his frustration? He fed him. Eat and sleep, eat and sleep, eat and sleep, then we'll deal with this thing, okay? If you are not where you need to be physically, you are going to be weaker spiritually, okay? And that's just a fact. That is just a fact. And every, for every one of us, that's different, okay? Some people cannot miss meals. Some people cannot do sweets. Some people, you fill in the blank. Every one of us are different. And you need to know where you are, and you need to know that that is, a, that is a trigger for you. You need to know that, you know what, I need to get some food in me right now, or I need to rest a bit right now. You need to understand that your physical being and your spiritual being are tied in together. It's just an important thing. Understand that, okay? And maybe you need to rest when other people don't. Okay, so be it. Maybe you need nine instead of seven, or ten instead of eight hours of sleep, whatever. Do what you need to do so that you make sure that you're doing what you need to do so you can be spiritually where you need to be. And quite honestly, sometimes when we're not spiritually where we need to be, we fail to look at some of the physical things that need to be addressed. You need to make sure that you are where you need to be physically. Okay? It's, that's just an important part of life. All right? So, they, so part of the temptation was this battle beyond that, beyond um, just the spiritual, but it was the fact that he was a human being and he was in a little bit of a weakened condition. So then we see the temptation itself, and we begin by verse 3, and it says, The tempter came to him. This is Satan, the devil. He came to, comes to him, and he says, Right away, the first words out of his mouth are what? If. What's he doing? Planting doubt. Exactly right. Planting doubt. If you really are who you say you are, why don't you put on a little show for us here? If you are who you really say you are, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Now, that doesn't happen with us very much. If you are who you say you are, why don't you do that? It, with us, it happens the opposite. With us, it happens this other way. Because you just did that thing, there's no way you can be who you think you are. That's how the doubt comes to us, usually. Would a Christian really do that? I don't think Christians do those kinds of things. Those doubts come in that way with us many times. Okay? How can you possibly do that and then call yourself a Christian? How can you possibly live that way and then go to church on Sunday? 
How can you do that? How can you do those things and then minister in the way you're ministering? Those doubts come with us. Okay? And what was happening with, that, with, those, with those doubts is, that, is that, that Satan is wanting us to, to boil down our Christianity to a moment, to an issue, to a thing, as opposed to understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. Okay? So Satan says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. You're hungry. You don't have to be hungry. I know you're hungry. And there's a solution here. There's a solution. Part of what Satan wants to do with us on a regular basis is he wants us to take a shortcut. There's the right way to do things, and then there's the shortcut that normally will get us into trouble over and over again. And Satan says, why don't you just take the shortcut? Why don't you eliminate all of that, and why don't you just do it a different way? <clears throat> you don't have to be hungry, Jesus. That's what he was saying. You don't have to be hungry. Okay? You are who you are. If you are who you say you are, then you deserve to eat. Those kinds of temptations come to us all the time. Look at what you've done for God. And then look how God didn't bless you. You deserve to let the flesh have some fun for a while. You deserve that thing because after all, you've been working so hard and doing these things, but God hasn't kept up his end of the bargain, has he? You're still struggling. You tithe properly now for four months in a row. How are your finances doing? Maybe you can take that shortcut. You've been doing A, B, and C. Things aren't working out quite as well as you thought they were, are they? Maybe you can do this. You'll feel better about you for a little while. That's what Satan wants us to do on a regular basis. Those kinds of things. Okay? If you are, there's a better way to live here. God doesn't have all the answers. Satan is going to do the same thing with us that he did all the way back in the garden. God's a killjoy and God is trying to keep all the good stuff for himself, and you will find that real life is freedom from God, it'll be fine. And then the really big one that he likes us to believe is this. I know there are certain principles and laws out there, but it won't happen to you. It'll be okay. That's what he did in the garden, and that's what he wants to continue to do all the way up to today with us, with Jesus. If you are the Son of God, you don't need to be hungry anymore. Go ahead. Go ahead. Turn these stones to bread. It'll be just fine. Okay? Yeah. Absolutely he knew who he was. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt Satan knew who he was. Absolutely, absolutely. And had he gone ahead and done it, absolutely, he would have he would have stepped outside of what, who he was and what he needed to do. Yeah, he would have given into something. That's right, the temptation. Look at what he says. What was Jesus' answer? And this is an important thing, so get used to this. In verse 4, he answered what? It is written. Okay, don't forget that phrase. It is written. It is written. So we're going to note this right away. We'll note this at the end. What is it that Jesus did not do with Satan? 
He didn't argue. Good answer. Way to go, Lorraine. He did not argue. He did not debate. He did not play a game. What do we do with Satan? We argue. We debate. We try to manipulate, change, rearrange. We think, I would like some bread. <laughs> maybe I could, maybe I could, okay? He said, it is written. Okay? Jesus went right to the scriptures, and he said, it is written, men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was making the declaration to Satan that he was indeed God and didn't need that. That he was going to depend upon God and God alone, and God was going to provide for him and take care of him, and that's all he needed. He was making that very clear. Okay? It is written that I won't do that because I am depending upon the Father and I won't not depend upon the Father. I will not depend upon my fleshly desires right now. I'm going to depend upon the Father. Okay? Yes? Sure. That works. Yeah, exactly right. A good Christian. Yeah. Because, and Satan likes that too, by the way, because he likes us to be nominal. Yeah. Yep, exactly right. And if I'm not good enough, I can't be good enough, so I might as well quit trying. Yep, exactly right. That's exactly right. Let's go on to the next one. Verse 5, The devil then took him up on the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, really, if that's who you are, throw yourself down, because it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and... On their hands they will bear you up so that you shall not strike your foot against the stone. What do we learn about Satan in this temptation? He knows Scripture. And he knows Scripture enough to do what with it? Twist it and take it out of context. Context. That's exactly right. That's exactly what he did here, and that's what goes on. You need to understand that your enemy knows Scripture and will twist it and use it and rearrange it against you every opportunity that he can. He what? Say it a little louder. Exactly right. He took Jesus' reason for not doing that and turned around against him. God. God will take care of. God will do it. You're exactly right. It's exactly right. So understand that you need to do that. So if that is the case, and we'll see that in the next one, if that is the case, what's the solution? You better know the Word of God. You had better know the Word of God. That's right. Don't ask me. Very clever. You'd better know the Word of God. You'd better understand the truth. You'd better know it. And isn't it nice that God gave it to us in this nifty-difty little handy usable book? Here it is. I can read it. I can understand it. I can find it. Here it is. You'd better know the Word of God because your enemy knows the Word of God and he's going to use the Word of God and he's going to throw it at you over and over again in inappropriate ways to try to get you to go down a bad path. Okay? So the temptation, the temptation of, I should have done this earlier, the temptation of the first one, if you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. What was the temptation for that with uh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life? Lust of the flesh. Absolutely, lust of the flesh, okay? The second one is, he took him up in the holy city and had him sit on the temple, and he said, if you are, I will give you all of these things, all right? Okay, what's this temptation? 
Pride, act independently of the Father, absolutely. What else? Power, absolutely, which is lust of the eyes, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. See, and the reason I point that out is I want you to understand that, that when the Bible says that Jesus is tempted in all ways like you, he's been tempted in all ways like you. You face those same kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep, here they are now. So he, he says, this is the deal. He uses Scripture in an inappropriate way, but he uses Scripture. And Jesus said to him, it is written. Good student, way to go. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written. He did not argue with Satan. He did not debate with Satan. He said, it is written. It is written. This is what it says. He said, prove God. Test God. Make sure that God is who he says he is. Listen, Satan will always plant seeds of doubt with you when it comes to who God is and what God does. Always. Always. What is it that God is obligated to do for you? That's a weird question, but let me ask you. What is it that God is obligated to do for you? There's a few things that the scripture says, but by and large, what is God obligated to do for you? He loves this, but the answer I want you to think about, by and large, is nothing. There are some things that he says I'm going to do, okay, and I don't want, to, I don't want you to think that. I, I understand that. God says he, here are some promises that will be faithful. But by and large, is God obligated to make sure you have two working cars? Is God obligated to make sure that you have two legs that work perfectly? Is God obligated to make sure that you have perfect health up until the day he takes you home? What? No, he's not obligated to do those things. And so Satan comes along and says, God owes you. Put God to the test. After all, that's right, God, exactly. He said this. He, he's going to say, put God to the test. So I've been noticing that you've been going not only to Sunday school, not only to church, but you even go to a Bible study once in a while. You ought to put God to the test about that. You ought, to, you ought to make sure that God, you know, what, what is it that God is going to do for you to make sure that life is grand? Okay? He's going he's to want us to put God to the test on a regular basis. When we put God to the test, we are taking God from being the God of the Bible and the God of the universe to being our own personal God. We're bringing him down here, and we're creating an idol. My God does this because I've done this. My God does this when I do this. That's an idol. Yeah. Yep. Always question whether God is good. Exactly. And that's one of the ones that we said goes all the way back to Genesis. Is God a good God? If God was a good God in Genesis, if God was a good God, he would let you eat of all the fruit in the garden. Only a mean dictator-type, unfair God would say you could eat of everything but this one thing. Isn't that amazing? How our minds can go from all of that to this? God must not be a fair God. God must not be a good God. That's exactly right. The goodness of God is a basic thing in life that Satan uses constantly. Always has and always will. Yeah, not holy. Exactly right. All those things, all of his characters are going to come into question there. Okay? So Jesus is saying, 
that the word of God is enough here. The word of God is enough. It is written. It is written. Let's look at the next one. Eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all of these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Lust of the pride of life, lust of the eyes, exactly right. I think that lust of the flesh a little bit, look, I'll be in charge type stuff. It'll all be mine. Exactly right, okay? Now, there's, there's some things that we learn here, okay? In this particular temptation, what do we learn about Satan? And the Bible teaches this in other places, but what do we learn about Satan? That's exactly right. He has power. This is Satan's domain. It was his to give. That's exactly right. Satan has been given this world as his domain, okay? It is his, all right? Yeah. He's been given it for a while, okay? God's still over, but he's been given it for a while. So understand that. So that's why when we go back to what it says in James, uh, at 1 John, excuse me, don't love the world because the things of the world are not of the Father, Okay, it's a world system. This is Satan's world. Okay? So you're going to face temptation because where do you live? In Satan's world. Okay? The solution for that is what? A place called heaven. Okay? Kingdom of God. It's, we're not going to live here forever. We're going to live somewhere else. Okay? All right, so <clears throat> he, is he is tempted to exalt himself and this is an important thing. Our quarterly brought this out. He is, he is tempted here to exalt himself in a way apart from the cross. That shortcut. Okay? He was going to be exalted, right? And in fact, the New Testament says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But he was, the temptation here to a certain degree was to be exalted apart from the cross. Go about it a different way, a shortcut. Everybody will see that you are amazing and watch out. It'll be really cool. And, and so that's the temptation here. It says then in verse 10, then Jesus said, go Satan. Next. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan came and said, do this. And Jesus said, it is written. Hey, do this. It is written. Hey, do this. It is written. Okay. And he had a response for everything that he gave him, and it was all about God and the truth in the Scriptures. Satan knows Scripture, and he knows it incredibly well, and he is going to use it against you over and over and over again. All right? Let me read the quarterly's conclusion on this particular chapter. We ought to move on to something else real quick. The wilderness temptation represents an all-out assault on the identity of Jesus, which was revealed at his baptism. It was a threefold attack. First, Satan sought to tempt Jesus to satisfy his desires apart from the will of God. The temptation was to make him rely on himself apart from the Father and sustain in his own life with physical bread. Jesus triumphed when he spoke of relying on the word of God for life. Second, Satan sought to tempt Jesus to doubt God's protection and test the promise by jumping from the roof of the temple. Once more, Jesus displayed his total trust in the Father. Third, the devil tempted Jesus to abandon the identity the Father bestowed upon him at the Jordan, the radical identification with the world that would finally lead him to the cross. Jesus' final triumph in the wilderness occurred when he determined to serve and worship the Father alone and triumphed over the temptation of Satan. 
This is not just an uh, simply an ancient story of, and a struggle between good and evil. It is the battle for those who long to remain obedient to God. Jesus' victory in the wilderness matters because it is the foretaste of the victory he will achieve for the world on the cross. And it pointed to the cross in that respect. Okay? His temptation, was it a real temptation? Yes. Never doubt that. Yes, it was a real temptation. It was a serious temptation. And it was as real as anything that you face, and more so, because I'm, if Satan comes to me and says, turn those stones into bread, not a temptation for me, right? I can't do it. It was a serious temptation for Jesus because he could do it. Okay? So don't ever think that he wasn't tempted. He was tempted. Don't ever think that his temptation was minor. It wasn't minor. It was just as serious and gut-wrenching as yours. Okay? Yeah, he never gave in. He never, he never did. Okay? So that's an important thing. The essential doctrine this week um, is temptation. Obviously, that's uh, you know, what, we're, what we're talking about over and over again here. The, the essential doctrine is temptation and sin. Now, we make sure that we understand that temptation is not sin, right? The temptation itself is not a sin. It's just what you do with it. Okay? And, and we need to make sure. Um, David is a great example of that. Great example of that. David is wandering around on the rooftop. The fact that he was there is another story. He shouldn't have been there. But David's wandering around on the rooftop, and the Bible says that he looks over and glances, and he sees a woman bathing. Okay? There's a temptation going on at that point. What happens next is real crucial. What does David do next? He looks again. He stares. He admires. He desires. He takes. As opposed to walking away, moving along, going somewhere else doing something fleeing. That's exactly right. So understand there's a big difference between temptation and sin. All right, let's go to two more verses and then we'll wrap up here. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. And I got to do this really quickly. I I, want to finish these things I got here. Hebrews chapter 4. And you know these verses. We've we've talked about these. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we yet without sin. He understands. Run to him. Cry out to him. He's been there. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace exactly when you need it. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it says this. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Nothing you're going through is different than what everybody else hasn't gone through. And God is, is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation will provide the way to escape also so that you will be able to endure it. If you don't know this verse, if you don't have this verse memorized, you need to memorize this verse. Okay? Because it says some incredibly important things. The first thing that it says is that what I'm going through is what everybody else has gone through. In fact, it's what Jesus has gone through. It's a temptation. Everybody has faced these temptations. All right? But then the next thing it says is God is faithful. And in God's faithfulness, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that that you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way to escape. In other words, you don't have to because God is going to provide. 
God's going to provide a way for you. I am not, I am not preaching perfection. We're not doing any of those things. It, it, but the Bible says that that, that temptation is common to everybody else. God's faithful, and he's going to not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but he's going to provide a way to escape. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can say no. It says that. Titus says that. He says that the, 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 the God, Jesus Christ, has appeared in the flesh, and the Spirit is in you teaching you to say no so that you might be who you need to be, okay? And it says in here, the very end of verse 13 says that he'll give us a way to escape so that you will be able to, interesting word at the end of the verse, do what? Endure it. Going through temptation is a fact of life. You will be tempted, okay? It's a fact of life. What are you going to do about that? There's a handful of ways to do it. How do you deal with temptation? The Bible, by and large, teaches three ways to handle temptation. The first one is to run or flee. We have that great example of Joseph in the Old Testament. David, I already mentioned, did not do that. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lust. The first way to, uh, to handle temptation is to flee. Okay? Flee. The second way to handle temptation is to pray. Is to pray. We have the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have Jesus in the garden. What is it that Jesus in the garden, what was he doing? He was praying as he was dealing with this great temptation of what? Not go to the cross. The temptation was to not go to the cross. Exactly right. He was praying. And he said to his disciples, do what? Pray so that you will not enter into temptation. So you won't sin. So flee is the first one. Flee. Leave. Remove yourself from that situation. Okay? Don't allow that to come into your life to begin with. And when it does come into your life, flee. Second one is to pray. A praying man will stop sinning, and a sinning man will stop praying. Okay? And the third one is the one that Jesus gave us, and that is Scripture. Use Scripture. Matthew chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God, the shield of faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says that shield of faith is there to do what? To stop those fiery darts of the evil one. What are those fiery darts? Those are the temptations. That fiery dart comes, whatever it may be for you. Here it comes. The Bible says you use that shield of faith and you put it up and says, the Bible says, and you use scripture to deal with that temptation. Okay? Those are, the, those are the, the three ways that the Scripture teaches us to deal with temptation. Run, pray, and use Scripture. Those are the ways that we need to do. And that's the example we have in the Bible. We see Jesus use Scripture on a regular basis. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He used Scripture, and he did his thing. Here's the interesting thing. Running removes us from a situation. Praying and Scripture turns our attention away from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the prideful, uh, uh, boastful pride of life and turns us right into God. That's where prayer and scripture are so powerful. They turn us right into God. Okay? And when you are, when you are turning right back into God and you are embracing God and God is embracing you, you're not going to be sinning. Okay? Now, you might do that, and you might turn away from that embracing God, and you might need to do it again. It, it may be there immediately. Boom, there it is again. What am I going to do now? I'm going to run, pray, and quote Scripture. 
And I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. That's what I'm going to do. Okay? The good news is you have the, ba the tools to endure in this battle. The bad news is you are going to endure in this battle until the day you die. It is life. As long as you live on this planet, in this body, this flesh, you're going to be tempted. You're going to struggle with these things. So you might as well accept that right now and get really good at resisting it. Okay? Excel at that. Of all the things you can sell at, let's excel at that. Let's excel at saying no. Let's excel at running. Let's excel at praying. Let's excel at, at quoting scripture that we might do it. Okay? In, in, in Timothy, it talks about, in 1 Timothy, it talks about the man of God and the way he approaches life. And it's been said that a, that, a, that a man of God, a godly person, we'll expand that a little bit, a godly person is always running. You're running from something and you're running to something. You're running away from sin, you're running toward righteousness. When we stop running is when we get in trouble, isn't it? So that's what the Bible says that we can do in order to deal with sin. Uh, the temptation of Jesus demonstrated that, and the Bible gives us those other things. You're going to be tempted soon, maybe even this very moment. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? I would encourage you to memorize 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. I would encourage you to do the idea of the flee and the pray and, and the scripture, and then certainly memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. I tell people this. If you're really battling with something, take a couple of verses and find those verses that deal with those particular things. Use those verses. Memorize those verses as well as you know John 3.16. And when, you're de when you deal with that temptation, use that verse. And say, the Bible says, Lord, I want to do what you say. I don't want to give in to the, flesh of the lust of the flesh. I want to do what the Bible says. Use those verses. There are verses that are in the Bible that are, that are relevant to your specific temptation. It may take you a while to find them, but they're there. Memorize those verses, use those verses, so that you might shine for Jesus Christ. And the temptation will be not that frustration that, that you feel like you're drowning constantly with. Okay? It's a fact of life, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to defeat us. It just doesn't. All right? We got to eat that. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. Thank you very much for the word of God, the truth of it, and the, the way that you've laid it out for us, that we might understand it and see it and realize uh, what you do and how you work. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've given us the tools that we need so that we can live the lives that we ought to for you and your glory. We thank you that our Savior is the perfect Savior and that we have a high priest who understands exactly what we've been going through and exactly what we will go through. And he was tempted in all areas like us and yet never sinned. And so, Father, work in our lives that we would indeed run toward you that we would receive grace and mercy in a time of need that we might shine for you and that by using scripture, by using prayer, by running and fleeing, we would just uh, take that power of Satan over us away and diminish it and destroy it. That the only power that, that would be in our lives would be the power of God at work in us. Thank you for laying this out for us. Thank you for giving us victory in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.